Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Coastal Community Church. I am Pastor Chris. Uh, great to see everybody here in person and uh, great for great to see everybody online. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, my guess is you are nice and warm and cozy uh, wherever you are at at home because it's a little, uh, what happened to spring? I thought spring had sprung, but um, I guess it went back inside for a little bit, uh, but that's okay. That's Charleston weather, but um, man, it's warm in here and uh, it's going to be a great day and I'm excited about Easter just like Scott said, uh, two weeks away. Uh, man, none of those tools uh, are valuable whatsoever unless you actually start using them. Uh, so get the word out, make those calls, make the ask, uh, reach out to people that you, uh, that you love, that you know, that you've been praying for, uh, where you live, work, parent, and play, uh, because we're going to have a great, great uh, celebration here at Coastal. Well, today uh, we are in week six of our To the Church series. And uh, each week we've been looking at one of these letters uh, that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And uh, it's our prayer that you have been uh, challenged and encouraged. And uh, today we are looking at the letter uh, to the church in Philadelphia. Go Eagles, right now. <laughs> Wrong. Now, I know Rose, uh, Rose Marie is watching us online from Philadelphia. Uh, she's actually one of our life group leaders, online group leaders, but not that Philadelphia. Uh, that not Pennsylvania, but in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago, okay? So the city of Philadelphia was actually founded by Adelus Philadelphus, approximately 180 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, this city had the distinction of being known as the gateway to the east, the, uh, the doorway to the world. And so this founding father of the city, Adelus, had this burning desire to see a city whose uh, sole purpose uh, for existence was to export uh, the Greek culture, the Greek language, and the arts to the rest of the world. Now, as we look at this particular letter today, it is important to note that this is one of only two letters that didn't receive any correction whatsoever from Jesus. Um, he encourages them and he challenges them, but he doesn't bring any correction. And again, it's my prayer today that you would feel uh, challenged and encouraged today. So if you're uh, joining us uh, on uh, the Bible app or your own Bible or the outline, follow along as I read Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who, are, who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. 
And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, as you read this beautiful, beautiful letter, this this beautiful picture of Jesus emerges. And so what I want you to do with me today as we take this passage apart is really just let Jesus be revealed for who he is, to get a really clear picture of of Jesus. And um, we're gonna take a look this morning at six characteristics of Jesus if you're taking notes. And nowhere else is does Jesus paint this picture of himself exactly in this light. So right off the bat, we see Jesus as our qualified Savior, our qualified Savior. Now, what qualifies Jesus to be our Savior? Well, verse 7 starts out this way. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. He's holy. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal to us Gentiles, you know, here in the 21st century, and until we understand that clear back in the Old Testament, okay? And a Jewish person, a converted Jew, would have understood this. Back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 43, 15, God said this, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. So here we are in the New Testament, and Jesus is assuming for himself the same title that God assumed for himself. You know, 1 Peter 1.22 says this about Jesus. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. Jesus was sinless. He is the only sinless person that has ever walked the face of the earth. In fact, in John 14, 9, Jesus said this. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so right off the bat, Jesus identifies himself to the church at Philadelphia with this. I am God. And I want you to listen to what I'm saying as though you are listening to the voice of God because you are. I am the Holy One. And then he says, I'm true. I'm the one who is holy and true. Now, this is an interesting word here in the Greek language because there are two words in the Greek language for the word true. One means that something is true as opposed to being false. But there's another word which means something is true as opposed to being a shadow. Something is true as opposed to being a symbol. It's not just, you know, it's not the the symbol of something that is real. It's, It's not an image of something that's real. It is real. And that's the word that Jesus chooses here. And so Jesus is saying to this church in Philadelphia, and he's saying to us here today, you need to understand something. I am a real person. I lived and died and rose again. I came back from the dead. I'm not a shadow. I'm not a principle. I'm not a concept or a philosophy. I'm not just another way of life. By the way, this right here is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. Jesus said, I am God. 
I'm not just a, another way of life. By the way, Jesus never claimed to be a great teacher or a good man. He said, I am God. I am the one who has come to live within you and empower you. I am the holy one. I am the true one. And I am qualified to be your savior. Number two, he says that he is the key holder. The key holder. Notice what he says in the rest of verse seven. I am the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. Now, what's that, what is that a reference to? And again, if you were a converted Jew who had, who had been used to the Old Testament teaching, you would have recognized this. It is a direct quote from Isaiah 22, 22. And in that passage, it refers to a time when King Hezekiah appointed one of his most faithful servants, a guy by the name of Eliakim, Eliakim, to be in charge of the palace. In other words, all of the authority of King Hezekiah was now placed on his servant on the shoulders of Eliakim. And so this guy was entrusted with an enormous amount of responsibility and authority. And if Eliakim said it, it was so. If Eliakim did it, it was done. And so now here we are in Revelation, and we got Jesus saying the exact same thing about himself. I am the one who holds the key of David. What it is, it is a claim of absolute authority. Just as Eliakim had the key to unlock the treasures of Hezekiah's earthly kingdom, so Jesus now has the key that unlocks all the treasures of the heavenly kingdom. Now, all of that parallels all the claims that Jesus made about himself over and over again during his time on the earth. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the way, the truth, the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, why? Well, because he has the key and he is the key. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in who? No one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And listen, that right there, that is still to this day the central message of Christianity, the central message of the church to the world today. And so Jesus was standing before the church in Philadelphia, just as he is standing before Coastal today and before you and me, and he is saying this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am holy. I am true. I hold the key to eternity and life. He is our qualified Savior, and he is the key holder. Number three, he's also the door opener. The door opener. Look at the first part of verse eight. I know all the things you do and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. Now again, you gotta understand a little bit of the context of this letter. And remember, Philadelphia was known as that city that was a doorway to the world. You know, a gateway to the world. And uh, shipping all of its culture, language, art, education, everything to the known world. And so Jesus is standing before this little band of believers here in this city, and he is saying, hey, just as the city you are living in is an open door to the world, I have set before you an open door, and nobody can shut it. We live in a world of closed doors, don't we? It sure feels that way. 
Do you remember where the disciples were and uh, what they were doing after the crucifixion, before they saw the resurrected Jesus? The Bible says that they were actually hiding behind closed doors in fear, for fear of the Jews. They were scared to death. You know what? That pretty much describes this past year for many people, doesn't it? Hiding behind closed doors in fear. For a lot of people this year and this past year, or even for some, maybe a good portion of their entire life, has felt like one closed door after another. And yet I believe that Jesus is reminding all of us, listen, church, I've said before you, an open door. There is no challenge, no hardship, no obstacle, no pandemic that can stop God's people because we have an open door. You know, what, is, what was true of the Philadelphia church is true of Coastal, and it's true of you personally. Listen, you ought to walk out of here today. You ought to tune out this service and go about the rest of your day six feet off the ground because of this promise. I mean, sometimes when you feel like you are all hemmed in and you are locked out and you are pushed down and there is no way out, our Savior Jesus stands before you and says, I have set before you an open door. And nobody, nobody is able to close it. Now, what kind of open door might he be talking about? Well, first of all, to those of you who aren't believers yet, to those of you who are kind of kicking the kicking the doors and kicking the tires and kind of checking things out, to the non-Christian, he is talking about Jesus himself. Because in John 10, 9 and 10, Jesus said this, listen to this, I am the what? The door, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, Satan, the thief, comes only, listen to this, to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. You see, he is the door. He's the door to eternal life. He's the door to abundant life. And if you are trying to find salvation, if you are trying to find life and meaning and purpose in any other means other than Jesus, listen to me, you are trying the wrong door and you'll be left empty. Now to the believer, to the Christ follower, there are at least two senses in which Jesus is saying, I've set before you an open door. One, I believe, is the open door of prayer. I think what Jesus was trying to say to this church and what he wants to remind us today is that there is nothing there is no passageway so long, no wall so thick, no obstacle so high, there is no opposition so strong in which the open door of prayer is still not there. And nobody, nobody can close that door. Now, prayer is not, you know, some sort of Aladdin's lamp that you can just rub and, you know, get whatever you want whenever you want it. But I'll tell you one thing. Jesus' teaching on prayer is that prayer is the key that God has given to every believer. 
But so many of our keys today are rusty because we're not even putting them in the locks. We're not even praying. But I think another sense in which Jesus is talking about this open door at Philadelphia is, I've set before you an open door to the lost world. Again, your city has been known as this gateway, this open door and you know, shipping all of its culture and language and art to the rest of the world. But now I want you to understand something. I want you to be an open door for the gospel. I've set before you this door that nobody can shut. And I believe, I truly believe that God is saying the same thing to Coastal today. You know, he has set before us an open door. And I have had a dream, I have had a vision for for so many years now in this church that through that open door, we are going to send men and women and students into the schools into the marketplace, into the neighborhoods where you live, work, parent, and play. To do what? To build redemptive relationships. To serve, to love, to to, to reach out to the unchurched and invite them into your life, invite them into your homes. And if you are faithful, if you'll keep that open door of prayer open, you'll be praying for them and serving them and loving them. You know what will happen? They'll ask questions. And you'll get to share your faith and share your story and invite them to Coastal, invite them to a place where we're gonna share the good news of the gospel. Why? Because Jesus has said, I have set before you an open door and nobody can shut it. But you gotta walk through it. You know, again, all those tools that we talk about, you know, inviting and using, you know, the signs, the the tickets, the, the social media graphics, all that, it does no good unless you walk through the open door. Now, I want you to notice a little tagline here at the end of, of verse eight. He said, you have little strength, yet you've obeyed my word and did not deny me. What in the world is he talking about there? Well, He's not talking about Holy Spirit power or Holy Spirit strength because they had lots of that. The strength or the power that Jesus is talking about is kind of like a worldly strength, a clout, a standing, resources. He's saying, guys, listen, I know. I know that in the world's eyes, you don't have a lot of money. You don't have a high position. You don't get a lot of uh, recognition. You don't have a lot of resources. I know that. But church, believers, listen up. Of much greater importance to me is the fact that you have kept my word and you have remained faithful. And if there's any application for us today, it's got to be this. It's not important to God for us to be popular or wealthy or politically or culturally correct or connected. But what is important to him is that we continue to be faithful and obedient to his word and that we continue to walk through all of the open doors that he has placed before us. He's the savior, the qualified savior. He is the key holder. He's the door opener. And number four, he is pictured here as the avenger of our enemies. The avenger of our enemies. Look at verse nine. 
Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Now, what is Jesus saying here to the church in Philadelphia? What's he saying to us? Well, I think this is Jesus' way of saying, hey, I know, I know you got a bunch of people that are giving you a hard time. I know there's a bunch of people in your life that are trying to hurt you, they're trying to break you, but let me handle it. I'll take care of it. Jesus is saying, if you have enemies, and by the way, if, if you're a believer for any length of time and you're living the Christian life, you're gonna have a few enemies. I guarantee it. You're gonna have some people in your life who, who don't understand you and, and, and go even further, who criticize you, who put you down, who make fun of you. You'll even have some people in your life, eventually, that might even try to do you harm. So what are you supposed to do as a follower of Jesus? Jesus said, I'll handle it. Leave them alone. Romans 12, 19, in fact, puts it this way. Dear friends, never take revenge. By the way, the word never there in the Greek, the original Greek language, you know what it means? Never. That's it, never. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. He's much better at it than you. Jesus is the avenger of our enemies. Number five, Jesus is also our protector, our protector. Verse 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Now, what's he protecting us from? You know, what is this, uh, this great time of testing that is coming? Some people, some Bible scholars think this might be the tribulation. Okay, a period, of great, a period of time of great suffering and persecution before Jesus returns. But whatever you think it might be, I can tell you this right now. Believers will go through hardship. Believers will be persecuted. We will experience tribulation. In fact, if you think that just because you're a believer, because you're a Christian, that you're exempt from pain and suffering and persecution, man, you're not reading the Bible. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Some translations use the word tribulation there. In fact, it's the same word here in John as it is in Revelation. On earth, as a believer, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So in other words, whatever the period of great testing is, whatever hardship or persecution or pain you experience, Jesus is saying, ultimately, listen, I will see you through it. I will protect you. In fact, one translation of this verse says, because you have kept my word, I will keep you. Man, that's, that's his promise to the faithful. That's his promise to, to, the, to the believers. And then finally, number six. Jesus is our great encourager. He's the great encourager. Look at verse 11. I love what he says here. He starts off by saying, I am coming soon. Now, what does that mean? I mean, because you could push back and say, hey, Pastor Chris, come on now. It's been 2,000 years, and he hasn't come back yet. Well, let me remind you that Jesus' definition of soon is not the same as ours. 
In fact, he even explains it for us in the word in uh, 2 Peter 3, 8, 9. I love this passage. Talking about you know, the return of Christ, it says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Listen, that's the only reason Jesus didn't come back last night or call you home. He's giving this world more time, more time to repent. He's, he's being patient. So back to Revelation, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take away your crown. Now, wait a second. Pastor Chris, are you saying that our crown, our salvation, is something that can be stolen or lost? Nope, absolutely not. Believers are eternally secure in Christ. In fact, in John 10, 28 and 29, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hands. So in other words, it is impossible for anyone or anything to ever snatch or steal us away from the Father. We are absolutely and eternally secure. But here in Revelation, Jesus is reminding us that the way God secures us, the way he does it is providing us with a faith that perseveres. A faith that hold on, holds on to what it has. In other words, salvation belongs completely to God. So if God saves you, he can't lose you. But here's the question. Okay, so how do we know who's saved? The answer, the ones who hold on to what they have. In other words, real Christians, the ones in God's hands, they endure to the end. Genuine believers persevere. You know, three different places in the Gospels, Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, though. But Pastor Chris, what if I can't endure? You know, what if I stumble and fall and it's permanent and I, and I don't endure? Listen, you will stumble. You will fall from time to time. But it's not going to be it's not going to be permanent. You say, yeah, but how can you be so sure of that? How can you be, you know, how do we know for certain that we're going to be able to endure to the end and be saved? Because in the Father's hands, he isn't going to let go of you. 1 Peter 1.5 says, and through your faith, and again, that's our part, but by the way, that's a gift of God. Through your faith, God is protecting you by whose power? His power, not yours, his until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So don't lose hope. Man, this is an encouragement. Persevere. He's coming soon. He will return. And then, man, he encourages us with this beautiful, beautiful promise. Look at verse 12. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. Now, again, a little bit of context here. Surely you understand you know, what the temple meant to a Jewish person, 
right? And these were all converted Jews. They, they knew that the temple was the place of God's presence. It was where God was. So obviously using that awareness and that understanding, Jesus is saying, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. In other words, my presence is going to be with you permanently, all the time, everywhere you go. I'm gonna make you the pillar in the temple of my God. But this would have even had more meaning to these Christians here in this city of Philadelphia. Why? Well, in AD 17, a, a huge earthquake devastated this entire region. And Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, happened to be built on a fault line. And so the aftershocks of this earthquake continued to come for more than a year. And every time an earthquake, would, an aftershock would occur, it was almost like, you know, the, the people on the news, you know, you know, get out now, you know, a storm is coming, like, like we had this week, right? Evacuate, get out, you know, hunker down, close schools. Well, that's what was happening for a year there in Philadelphia. An aftershock would occur, they would immediately drop everything, and they would run out of the city for fear that all the buildings were gonna collapse again. And so they'd gotten used to this for a whole year, just leaving the city for safety and then returning. Another aftershock would come and they'd be scrambling out again. They had learned to live, you ready for this? With a sense of fear and dread. And so in saying that he is going to set them as a pillar in his temple and they would never have to leave. Jesus is promising these believers that he's gonna set them in his temple. They're gonna be a part of his presence in such a way that no disturbance, no suffering, no pain, no, no aftershock, no pandemic is ever going to force them out of his presence again. So Jesus is coming again. And until that day and that time, we have the commitment of his permanent presence. And then notice what he says. And I will write on them the name of my God. They'll be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. You might call this being tattooed for Jesus, okay? Getting inked for Jesus. Now, in their day... Um, a faithful uh, municipal uh, or, or city servant uh, was sometimes honored by having their name inscribed on one of the pillars in the city, kind of similar to the way today, you know, we might name a bridge after somebody or a street after somebody or put their, their name on a plaque and put it on something, you know, in, in the city. And it was meant to, you know, honor or memorialize somebody. And the inscribed name signified um, ownership, value, identification. It was meant to be permanent. Now, Applied to us today in the 21st century, Jesus has committed to the faithful. He has committed himself to the ones who overcome, so much so that he is going to write his name on your life. So not only is he committed to us his permanent presence, but also we are his permanent possession. 
Church, look at this outline. Look at this passage. Jesus is all sufficient. He is our savior. He is the key holder. He is the door opener. He is the avenger of our enemies. He is our protector and he is our great encourager. He's all sufficient and all adequate. Somebody once put it this way. To the artist, he is the one who is altogether lovely. To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the baker, he is the living bread. To the adventurer, he is the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he is the life of men. To the botanist, he is the lily of the valley. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the diplomat, he is the king of kings. To the educator, he is the great teacher. To the florist, he is the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he is the one and true vine. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the juror, he is the faithful witness. To the lawyer, he is our great advocate. To the philanthropist, he is God's unspeakable gift. To the preacher, he is the word of God. To the sculptor, he is the living stone. To the statesman, he is the desire of all nations. To the theologian, he is the author and finisher of our faith. To the professor, he is the truth. To the intelligent, he is the wisdom of God. To the traveler, he is the way. To the dying, he is the life. To the sinner, he is the lamb of God. And to us, the Christian, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all sufficient. That is who he is. The question is, has he become sufficient in your life today? There is only one, one reason Jesus has not yet called you home or come back again last night. And that's because he loves you and he is being patient with everyone wanting you to repent and turn to him. And you can do that today. Listen, we are living in a world today that seems so unstable. But he is our rock. And he is the all-sufficient one and he can become that in your life right here and right now. Turn to him today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for the all-sufficiency of Jesus. And Father, to the believer here today, to the believers that are here watching online, listen, I think we, we need to be reminded of that. It's so easy, like these Philadelphian Christians, just to to walk and to live and to run in fear and to stay behind closed doors and not to realize that you have set before us today an open door and that we have no reason to fear. You are all sufficient. You are everything that we need. God, may we cling to you like never before. May we realize whose we are and what we have in Christ. And listen, if you're here today and you are watching this and if you have not yet turned to Jesus as the all-sufficient Savior, the Son of, of God, the resurrected Lord, man, you can do it right here and right now. He is calling you to himself. He is calling you home. Listen, just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I admit it. I've gone my own way. I've turned away from you. I've lived unto myself. Call it whatever you want. I'm a sinner. I know it. In need of a Savior. And today I believe, I believe that you have provided one. He is your son. He is real. 
He is qualified to be my savior because he lived that perfect life. He went to the cross for me and I believe as much as I understand or know how, I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And today I ask him to be the forgiver of my soul, my sins, and I ask him to be my Lord and my savior. And now God, for the rest of my life, until you do call me home or come back again, I just want to follow Jesus. I want to be the one among, among the ones that, that endure, that persevere to the end. I want to follow him. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.